You'll turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10. Uh, we're going to wrap up the series that uh, Trevor started as we did our missions emphasis week. And I just felt we had a title together um, as we respond to God's word. So if you'll turn to Nehemiah and chapter 10. Today's also a very special day for uh, two baptismal candidates. We actually had three and one of them was exposed to COVID. So they couldn't come today. We'll do that next week, hopefully. Uh, but... Uh, it's great to have a baptism uh, after the service. God is still working, even during times of COVID. Isn't that exciting? What happens when God's spirit moves amongst his people? When the, God of, uh, when the hand of God is clearly on his people, when he's speaking into the life of his church, when he's reviving his people. I love Acts chapter 3 and verse 20. Uh, where Luke speaks about, he, he asks that God would send times or, or seasons of, a, of refreshing that may come from the, the presence of the Lord. Do you ever ask God to increase your spiritual hunger for Him? Um, do you ever ask God to visit us with His grace? Um, Andrew Murray uh, a century or so ago, he was in the little town of Montague. There was a, a revival. They, could, they had a great, great sense of God's spirit amongst the people. People, there was holiness. People turned from sin, uh, away from drinking and other vices. Uh, repentance was the order of the day. Uh, there was revival amongst God's people and amongst this town which spread across South Africa. Um, and, and maybe you've had an experience like that, or, or God has began to, begun to revive you. It's certainly been exciting what's been happening the last three weeks as uh, Trevor Downham spoke into the life of our church. I was also re uh, recently reading about the uh, Welsh uh, revival where pubs and bars closed down, uh, whole towns and, and cities were, were changed by godliness. People were, were uh, different, they didn't swear and cuss, um, and even the police got bored. Just imagine that in South Africa, uh, if the police got bored, there was no work for them to do, it would be absolutely radical. Uh, in fact, in, uh, in Wales, um, coal towns began to mine less coal, and the reason for that was that the donkeys were taking out less coal of the mines. You might wonder why. Well, it was because the miners weren't beating and swearing at their mules as they used to do, and so the, the mules pulled less coal. But there was real life change as God began to work amongst his people. Job, the man of God, after suffering, if you go right to the end of the book, chapter 42, and there you see Job's interaction as he, he has a new perspective of God. And he says the following, my, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have, have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in, in dust and ashes. This man had a, a totally new perspective of God. And I trust these last few weeks, as God has spoken into the life of his church, that your understanding um, has grown of God. Uh, Trevor's been preaching on Nehemiah. It certainly was a, a word in season for our church. Um, and uh, there were three tuck homes that I had over that series of, of sermons. The one is that we, we need to be uh, wall builders. God is calling each of us to, to build the walls around us, to get involved in our community and, and people around us. Then we saw Nehemiah's passion. This man was a, a man of passion. 
Now I really trust that God is going to be growing our spiritual passion for Him and to do His work. And then the last challenge that Trevor gave us was to, to cross the line. And he made a statement which, which stood out to me. Nothing of value um, is achieved until we cross the line. And if you don't know what it means, please go back to the website and watch that sermon. But God is calling us to, to cross the line. Now, today we're going to be looking at what happens when the Spirit of God moves. And I really pray that God is going to do that in this church and in the church uh, in South Africa and around the world. Uh, in chapter 1, we, we saw that Nehemiah prayed a, a stirring prayer. Remember how, how Nehemiah sought God? He was passionate. In verse uh, 5, uh, we see that Nehemiah began with uh, praise and worship. And friends, I want to say that when we pray, that's the place to, to start. We, we need to recognize who, who God is and what He's done. If we grasp God's greatness, we will fear nothing. Next we see in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1, we, we see the priority of confession. You cannot do business with God unless you're right with Him. It's so important to do that. The next stop, verse 8 and 9, he, he focused on the, the promises of God and, and, and David and the worship team reminded of that, that God is faithful. And then finally in verse 10 and 11, he interceded for present reality, realities. And remember we saw how the wall in Jerusalem was broken down and we don't have to look very far to see many, many broken walls in our communities and in our country. Um, and certainly we, we need to pray as God's people for present realities in our country. Now this certainly, chapter 1, is a, a model prayer. Um, somebody said that prayer deepens our, our spiritual burdens for uh, broken walls and for the lost and so on. When we pray, we, we grow that spiritual burden that, that God gives us. Not only does prayer deepen our burdens, our godly burdens, but it quietens our heart. We, we begin to hear what God is saying. Sometimes folk come to me and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm just not hearing God speak. I want to say to you, if you're not hearing God speak, you, you're probably not reading the Word, and you're probably not spending seasons in prayer. We need to pray and have our hearts quietened. Prayer also gives us a, a vision. It gives us a, a picture of what God wants to do through your life and through my life. As we, we pray, God gives us a vision, a, a picture of what He wants to do. And then mostly, most importantly, Prayer moves us to act. And as Nehemiah prayed, uh, God gave him that vision. And I think if you study the text, if I remember correctly, he prayed for us six months. We, it sounds like when you go to Nehemiah 1, he simply prayed and went to the king. That wasn't the case. Um, he probably prayed for about six months. If you look at the timing in chapter 1, this man was praying and praying. And as he prayed, God gave him a vision and he went and he acted, and he went to Jerusalem. Now, the story of, of Nehemiah is compelling. Despite the opposition, despite the adversaries, the setbacks, amazingly, and this is a miracle, they built the wall in 52 days. That's a miracle. And I hope that in, as you look at your own life, you have seen the, the hand of God present in your life. 
Because God is a God of miracles. He does things that are absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I want to share a very small thing yesterday. Um, we have coffee in the morning. We've got this coffee machine. And um, I, I took the, the little, uh, this little thing you take out of the machine. And the, the spring bounced. And the, 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 there's a little thing at the bottom that, that sort of directs the, the coffee into the, the urn below. And there was a tiniest of washes that disappeared. We couldn't put it back together. And so I prayed, Lord... Help me find this washer. Well, uh, I looked high and low. We moved the microwave. We moved all sorts of things. It was gone. And we thought there's, there's a, um, a little basin next to it. I thought maybe the washer is a tiny little thing, not even the size of a button. It's probably gone down the drain. Um, and so, well, maybe the prayer wasn't answered. Well, that night I was wiping the, the uh, surface. And I saw like, it looked like a tiny little piece of, of, of rice. And there was the washer. And I said to my wife, you see, God is a God of miracles. Uh, But God does amazing things. That happened yesterday, just by the way. Despite the opposition, despite the problems, in 52 uh, uh, days, at least not years, uh, they built the wall. This was an act of God, and everybody knew it was an act of God, a miracle. What was impossible with man was absolutely possible with God. But ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there with the building of walls. God built walls, but God was about to build into people's lives, and we're going to see that today, um, that God began to work in the people's lives. Now, if you read through Nehemiah, I encourage you to do that. Chapter 8 is a, about conviction. We find Ezra, the, the, the priest, teaching the word, reading from the word, the Levites explaining the word, and the, the conviction of God's word began to filter into the lives of the people. God began to speak into the lives of the people. Chapter 8 is about conviction. Chapter 9, we find confession as, as people uh, respond to the word of God. They began to, to, to confess their sin because folk, when we listen to God's word, we realize how holy God is and how sinful we are. They began to get right with God and I suspect that many of us need to do the same. Chapter 8 about conviction of the word. Chapter 9 about confession, making right with God. And then we get to chapter 10 and that's about commitments. Because when God speaks to his people, we need to respond. They're so serious about it that in chapter 9 and verse 38, they, they put that commitment in writing. Uh, they enter into a vow. Uh, they make promises to God. And I remember every year, I used to, at the beginning of the year, I would write down what I, I sense God is calling me to do in the year. Um, and we need to do that. They, they wrote down, they made promises to God, a vow. Chapter 9, verse 38, it tells us the, the NIV, they, they made a, a binding commitment. The New Les- a, a Living Testament, they, they made a, a solemn oath. The King James, they, they made a covenant. Friends, when last have you covenant with God to do whatever He's calling you to do? These people, they made a commitment, they covenant with God. They promised to, to live for the Lord. Maybe that's, it's time for you to make the covenant, whether it's to meet with God in the, uh, in the morning and to have a quiet time with Him, maybe to serve Him with Sunday school, whatever it is. 
We need to covenant with God. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 10 and we'll start reading from verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the the temple servants, and all who separate themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all the sons and the daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their fellow, fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, the regulations, decrees of the Lord our God. So what that's saying is that all the people, they were gathered together, the whole community, and they committed themselves to God. Verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us, or to take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, We will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any other holy day. Every seventh year we will forgo working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel uh, each year for the service of the house of our God, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offering and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts and at the appointed festivals for the holy offerings. For sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and all the people, have cast lots to determine each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops. And of every fruit tree, as it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds and of our flocks, to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all the trees and of our new wine and olive oil. And we'll bring a tithe of the crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they will receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms with the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the great keepers and the musicians are also kept. And in this final sentence, we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, listen carefully. These people made four commitments to the Lord because God had worked in their hearts. They'd seen the the Lord move in their midst. They realized that the, the building of the, of the wall was an absolute miracle. And you know what? Their, their faith impacted their lives. It's so, so sad at times when uh, I, I, I meet Christians. But you know, they're, they're hardly different to the people around them. Their faith has not impacted their lives. Now I want to say to you, if you're a born-again Christian, your faith must impacted us must make a difference to you as a person 
They'd seen a miracle, and these people knew it was the work of God. And friends, I want to say to you that when you're born again, when you're a new creature in Christ, that is a miracle. I'm going to ask you today, will you make four commitments as we take it out of the text, as we look at the text? Won't you make these four commitments that will solidify your spiritual life? It will change the, the way you live, your priorities, what you seek after, what you think about. The first commitment is found in verse 29. We see they committed themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord and friends, I want to ask you this morning, have you ever done that in your life? You said, Lord, I want to live for you. Today our baptismal candidates, we're going to have two of them and hopefully next week another, uh, are making a, a statement. They're saying, Lord, because you've saved me, because you've changed my life, I want to live for you. Hal God and Annelies have made that statement. I remember, as I mentioned earlier, they uh, said, can we uh, uh, dedicate our child? Uh, it was just a few weeks after uh, uh, the baby, uh, Ava, had been born. And they said, it's time to introduce her to the church and to God's people. You know, I was so excited about that. Uh, that priority, uh, that they would live for the Lord, that their home would be marked for God. We want our home to be a place where, where God is honored. Isn't that great? These people committed to live for the Lord. Now, how did they do that? Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, and verse 5. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. I, I want you to underline it. You've got a pen because it's an important verse. What does it say? They gave what? They gave themselves, they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, the Lord was the priority in their lives and everything they did. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Now I want to say to you that that's quite a thing to do. Um, and all of us need to do that. I remember when I was 16, um, uh, I was a young, uh, young teenager, or a teenager at least, and I'd become a Christian when I was 13 years old. And when I was 16, God began to speak to my life, and there, there was a conference we attended, and I'll never forget the pastor said to the people there, will you give your life to God? If you're going to become a teacher, be a uh, a Christian teacher, if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, be a, a Christian teacher or, 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 or a Christian doctor or a Christian lawyer. Um, but open yourself up to be used by God. And, and if God calls you into ministry, well, well great. But you know what? If he, if he doesn't call you into ministry, that's just as great. Um, will you give yourself to God? And whatever profession you are, will you be God's representative? And I'll never forget doing that. And, and God began to work in my life from that point on in a dramatic way. But let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 10. I want to ask you, what did they really commit themselves to do? Uh, have a look at it, verse 29. They said there, they committed, the New King James says, to, to walk in God's law. The NIV says to follow God's law, the CSB to, to obey. What does it mean? 
They were going to place themselves under the word of God. Not just to listen to it. How many Christians listen to the word? But not only were they going to listen to it, they were going to live the word. They're not going to just be in the word, but they were going to be under the word. Under the authority of, of God's word. Now I love, uh, I love history, and recently I read the story of Captain Bly. I don't know if you've ever read the story of, of the mutiny on Captain Bly's ship. It's quite a story because there were mutineers and he and a number of his uh, crew were set off in a, in a, in a, uh, in a little boat or they were set adrift. They actually traveled 6,700 kilometers. That's mind-boggling. And this was in the 1789 was the year. Mutiny in Captain Bly's ship and... Um, the rest of the, of, the, of the folk on the ship who had uh, kicked off the captain, they, they went off, it was in Polynesia, and sometime later the British came looking for, and they captured many of these guys, but I think there were 10 left over uh, that they never captured. They're on some remote island, and 10 years later, there was a man by the name of John Adams, of, of the 10 that escaped completely uh, after 10 years, he was the only man left that got drunk and lived debauched lives. And this man got a copy of the Bible. And after reading the Bible, he said the following, I cannot carry on living like this. And his life was turned around. John Adams, uh, he became a Christian. His life was radically changed. And friends, when you place yourself under the law of God, that is exactly what happens. Your life changes. Uh, you live differently. Evangelist Robert Sumner, he, he tells the story of a man who was really badly uh, injured. He was in an explosion. He lost his eyesight. He, he lost both his hands. Uh, his face was totally disfigured. And, and this man was a, a young Christian, a new Christian, and was disappointed he couldn't read the word. Now, I know many Christians who don't read the word at all, except on a Sunday morning when they come to church. And this man... A young Christian, he, he read about a, a woman who was also blind and had read the Bible with her lips. Imagine that, reading the Braille, Braille Bible with your lips. And so he, th he thought he'd do the same. He ordered a Braille Bible. But when he got the Bible, he, he discovered that to his dismay, his lips had lost their nerve earnings. He couldn't feel a thing. He was really dis uh, um, dismayed. Um, and then one day as he brought that braille to his lips, his tongue happened to, to touch the pale of the braille Bible and he could touch and feel the, the raised characters, uh, he could feel them. And in a flash he thought, I can read the Bible using my tongue. Can you imagine that? A man who, who so desired to, to live under God's word, totally blind, and he'd read the Bible with his tongue. Now you can read about that story. Uh, it's Robert Sumner, The Wonders of the Word of God. Um, I googled it. Um, but by the time that um, Robert Sumner told the story, this young man had read the Bible four times with his tongue. That's unbelievable, isn't it? How many of us have read the Bible through once? And we can see Friends, we, we need to place our lives under the Word of God. 
Do you know you can summarize the Bible in just two verses? They're found in Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. And it says the following. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, when you do that, you will live for God. Most people live about 70 years old, and that's probably the average worldwide. And somebody has worked out uh, the typical lifespan of of how those uh, 70 years are, 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 are used. And he has an estimate. Sleep, 23 years. Uh, that's about 32.9% of your life. Uh, work, 16 years, which is 22.8%. TV, how much do you think it is? The average person, 8 years or 11.4% of your life. Eating, 6 years. If you look at some people, it's probably longer. Uh, 11.4%, uh, sorry, 8.6%. Travel, 6 years, which is 8 uh, uh, 8.6%, uh, leisure, 4.5 years, that's 6.5%, illness, 4 years, 5.7% of your life, dressing, 2 years, uh, or 2.8%, I was going to say, if I look at my wife, it's probably about 10, no, no not really, uh, she's nodding at me, I'm in trouble when I go home, uh, religion, 0.5 years, or 0.7%, Total 70 years or 100%. And as you reflect on those figures, are we really living for God? Friends, we we need to live for the Lord. A member of a a local church was becoming uh, really bored and tired of an insincere prayer request in a, a petitioner's life every every week at this prayer meeting, church prayer meeting, this, this member would uh, say the same prayer. The man would pray, Lord, clean out the, the cobwebs in my life. Well, the man who was getting irritated, he interrupted the prayer, and he said, well, Lord, while you're about it, kill the spider. Live for the Lord. This is the first thing, the first commitment they made. The second commitment is in verse 30. They committed to passing on a a godly heritage and and what we've seen today is part of that. The problem of intermarrying, of giving sons and daughters, uh, it wasn't a problem of race, but rather a a problem of of, of religion, of, of commitment to God. Why does God want godly marriage? Well, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 15, perhaps you want to quickly look it up. It's a, another important verse. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 15. I want to read the English Standard Version. Malachi 3.15. Did not he, in speaking about God, did not God make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard your, yourselves in your spirit and let no one of you be faithless, faithless to the wife of your youth. Friends, I want to say to you that you cannot be effective or as effective as passing on your faith 
when you're living with a godly, uh, a godless partner, should I say, I always encourage young people, when you get married, if you're a Christian, make sure you're marrying a, 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 another Christian. And maybe it's a commitment some of our young people need to make if they're listening. I'll only date, I'll only go out of the ghoul, get married to a, a guy or a girl who's committed to God. But friends, in our home, we, we, we need to pass on that, that godly baton. We, we need to set the example as we've spoken about earlier today. We need to establish a, a, a family altar where God's word is read. <coughs> Are you going to read God's word and tell them the Bible stories and, and pass on that, that passion for God? I'll never forget when I went to church when I was a teenager and there was a man, Mr. Noel Rowland. He, he died when he was 99 years old. Uh, but this man... He'd do a Bible study every Wednesday to go to the Bible study. And what really struck me about uh, this man was not just what he taught, but his, his passion for God's Word. And friends, you, you can't tell somebody to have a passion. You, you need to have that passion yourself and pass it on. If, if you as a parent do not have a passion for God's Word, I can tell you now your kids won't have a passion either. Pass on a godly heritage. The third commitment is in verse 31. They committed to set aside a day of worship. Now in 1994, South Africa voted in a new government, a government and, and shortly after that we uh, established a new constitution. In fact, this constitution was described as one of the most progressive constitutions in the world's it was said that South Africa would become a, a secular state. And what, they, what, what is implied by that is that God would be cut out of much of our public life. You know it happens slowly, but it's happening in our country. In schools, in courts, we allow abortion. The laws are changed. Um, if you protest... You get yourself into trouble. In fact, the, the, marriage court, uh, uh, um, the marriage laws at this moment are being changed in South Africa. Today, many, many people who came out of godly families are now putting Jesus Christ aside. In fact, I, I spoke to a friend of mine in the 1990s who came from another denomination. He said his denomination were, was losing 100,000 members a year after 1994. That's staggering. But you know, the, the saddest thing of all this is that people who, who claim to be born-again Christians are forgetting about the Lord's Sabbath, the Lord's Day. The early church called it the first day of the week. And friends, I want to challenge people at home and at church. Have you set aside a day of the week to come and worship together with God's people? The people set aside a day of worship. My wife Marlene is very strict on this. Uh, when she studied uh, interior design uh, over four years, when it came to Sunday, she'd put a pencil and whatever else down, and she refused to work. It doesn't matter what was happening on Monday. And if you ask what happened, right through those it was, uh, four years, um, not once if she didn't finish her work, uh, was a work late because they would delay the, the deadline for whatever they're doing in their course. God honored that. Uh, she was really strict in that. Um, but have you set aside 
a day of worship, of corporate worship. I want to ask a question, what marked the people of God in the Old Testament? Does anyone know, besides the fact that circumcision, there was one other thing that set aside the people of God, and that was that the Jewish people set aside a day of worship. That was distinctive. You see, if you believe that God is worthy to be worshipped, you will take out that time in your week, set it aside, and, and, and worship the Lord. Or has Sunday just become another day in your home? You see, the Lord said, do not have any other gods before me. And, and sometimes when we use Sundays for something else, we, we're having a God that is placed before the Lord. I ask those at home, when, when lockdown is over, will you come back to church to worship? Elsewhere we read in Nehemiah that Nehemiah took action. He, he locked the city gates. Can you believe this? He, he locked the city gates to prevent buying and si selling outside the city wall. That was his commitment. And I wanted you to notice one other thing. <clears throat> These people were accustomed to be watchers on the wall and, and workers on the wall. But chapter 12 tells us that these people became worshippers. Maybe you work hard. Maybe you watch your walls. But friends, do you worship God? They set aside a day where they came together to, to worship, that corporate worship. And then the last commitment is found in verse 32 to 39. They committed themselves to support the work of the Lord. Now up to this point, many of the Levites and priests that served the temple had got a home. Uh, why was that? These people had to make a living. People weren't tithing. They weren't giving. They were forced to go back to their, their normal work. Um, and today that's very true. How many more people should be serving God? But they cannot afford to do that because people are being, God's people are being unfaithful stewards. Now I want you to notice two things. In, in verse 39 they said the following, We will not neglect the, the house of the Lord. And what does verse 35 and verse tw uh, 25 say? They would bring their what? What did they bring? Their first fruits to the temple. Was that the leftovers? No, it wasn't. It was their first and their best. Their priority was to support the, the work of God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I'll read it quickly, but maybe go there in your Bible. Underline it's an important verse. It says the following, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with, from your wealth, and from the first of all your produce, so that your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now this is a big issue and Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21. And he said the following, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Isn't that true? 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. I won't read it for the sake of time. But the summary of that is, They gave themselves first to the Lord. First to God. That's their priority. How can we give ourselves to the, the Lord? I want to just mention a few things as we respond to the last three weeks of preaching.
I want to challenge everybody in this church and, and those at home who are watching to pray for five people. Five people in your world, maybe it's friends or colleagues or your children, if they do not know the Lord, to begin to pray. Begin to pray. I'm going to challenge you, take a pen or a pencil and an inside flap of your Bible to write down five names of people you know who need the Lord. And then to pray each week, to pray for those five people. I want to challenge this church to do that in the coming weeks and months and years. Uh, George Muller, I've told this story before, he prayed for lots of, pe of people, but there were five special people in his life and he prayed for them. And I think there were three of them that became Christians during his lifetime. And then he died and the other two became Christians after he died. And, and sometimes we don't always see the, the answers to our prayers. Won't you pray for five people? And then su support the, the ministry of this church, whether it's through life group ministry and reaching out to the community or, or Sunday school. We're we, we, we ending divorce care and we're starting grief share to, to share the good news, the hope about Jesus. And then something a little bit more dif uh, difficult is to learn the verses that speak about salvation uh, in our Bible school, and, and maybe I'll put it out in the, in the uh, Pulse next week, uh, we looked at the Roman road, um, which are verses that you can share with people to, to accept the Lord. All you've got to do is say, you started Romans 3.23, and you ask the person, please read this verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean to you? Well, we're all sinners. It's as simple as that. And you go through Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, and 13. And there's one extra one thrown in for good measure, 1 Peter 2.24. Um, and that's the Roman road. It's as simple as that to share your faith. Read the verse. What does it say? Um, and hopefully a person will respond to that. One other thing we'd like to do as a church is, because we're in Pretoria, is to reach out to consulates where there are lots of foreigners. We want to do that as a church. There are lots of things. But won't you commit yourself to the work of God in and through this church? A lighthouse along a, a bleak coast in England was tended by a keeper who was given enough oil for one month and told to keep the light burning every night. One day a, a woman came to the, 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 the keeper and he asked for oil because uh, her ch children were cold in the winter and, and so he measured out a little bit of oil. Then a farmer came along, his son needed oil to, to read uh, for, for his studies at school and so the, the light keeper again measured out a little bit of oil, just enough. Then an, another person needed some oil for his engine and again he, he measured out some oil. The keeper saw that all these requests were, were worthy requests and he, he measured out just enough oil to, to satisfy everybody. Near the end of the month, the tank in the lighthouse ran dry. And that night the, the beacon was dark and three ships wrecked on the rocks. More than a, a hundred lives were lost. And when the, the government official investigated, the man explained what he had uh, done and why. The man replied, You were given one task alone, insisted the official. It was to keep the light burning. Everything else was, was secondary. 
There is no defense. Friends, I'll ask you this morning, are you keeping that, that light burning? Are you doing God's ministry because that's exactly what, what God calls you to do? Somebody once put it when they're speaking about preaching, keep the main thing the main thing. I want to close with a story about David Livingston, as you know, a, a really famous missionary to Africa. The body of David Livingston was buried in England where he was born. But interestingly, it's a bit gory, I suppose. His heart was buried in, in Africa, the Africa he loved. At the foot of a, 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 tr- a tall tree in a small African village, the, the locals dug a hole and, and placed his heart in this hole, the, the heart where... Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the country that this man, this missionary, loved and, and served and respected. If your heart were to be buried in the place that you loved most in your life, where would it be? Where is your heart? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this series on Nehemiah. Lord, we find a a man who was passionate for you. And Father, because he sought you and he had your vision in his heart, a miracle occurred. But Lord, we know that it's not just physical walls that you're building around us. Lord, you are, are building into people's lives. And Father, as we bow before you, we, we know your spirit has spoken to us. Lord, you ask us again and again, where is your passion? Father, we know that you want us to make you first. Father, we know that you want us to to pass on a a godly heritage. Father, we know that you want us to come together as your people to worship you because you are worthy to be worshipped. And Father, we know that you want to work through us and be passionate about your work. Friends, as we bowed, won't you... Perhaps recommit your life to God this morning. If God has spoken to you about where you're at, maybe you've drifted during COVID times, that you recommit your life to God this morning. Why don't you just take a few moments and, and pray and say, Lord, I, I, I realize that you aren't the priority in my life anymore. And oh God, I want to make you the priority. Perhaps there's somebody here this morning who has never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And maybe the Lord is speaking to you today. And will not you come this morning and say, Lord, I, I recognize I'm a sinner. Lord, I've broken your Lord, your, your, your law. I don't live under your word. But I want to be a child of God. Won't you pray this morning? Lord, I, I want to be your child. Won't you accept me? I want you to be my Savior and Lord. Forgive my sins. And cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Father, we thank you that you're a, a gracious Father. Lord, that you want to work in us. And you want to work through us. Lord, we recommit ourselves to you today. And Father, as we baptize the two ladies in a moment, we thank you for their testimony. Lord, for their desire to be counted as one of your children. Father, we pray that indeed 
this event would be a very special, special day in their spiritual journey. We pray this all in your precious name. Amen.